1: Here in Cannes. You're listening to another of these Little White Lies daily updates. Uh, it's Michael Leder here and I'm joined today by Little White Lies contributor Sophie monks Kaufman.
2: Bonjour Michael oh, Lieder. Bonjour,
1: Sophie. <laughs> How are you doing?
2: Very well. Yeah I've crossed through the threshold of sleep deprivation I'm now content existing in a slight state of mania and can perform very well uh, I quite, into
1: it. I quite liked what you said on Twitter overnight about how Cannes is essentially a bunch of sleep-deprived people trying to pass judgment on art.
2: It's hilarious, because <laughs> no one's really in any fit state, but we all know that that's the whole reason we're here. So everyone tries their level best to make sense, with varying degrees of success.
1: Well, Sophie, you're very welcome. Um, and I think to start with a bit of... Follow follow on from last episode, we had a tweet so the White Lies account from Hillary Bovey, um, saying a huge fan of the podcast, but was um, pointing out the sort of dearth of uh, female perspectives on the Lars Von Trier film that played in Cannes just yesterday morning, and actually, Sophie, you wrote the review for the White Lies online of the House That Jack Built. So, do you think you've said everything you say in that review? Should you point people in that direction?
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that was the most difficult review I've had to write or festival because mm-hmm. it's not a straightforward film at all in so far as its images are incredibly provocative but in mm. a way I think they're a huge MacGuffin. Um, so as to avoid going down that giant rabbit hole, I would simply encourage listeners to head to the Little White Lies website and read my review.
1: Yes. Well, instead, we could probably talk about just some canic if you will.
2: Gold. Any
1: any tales from the set from you, Sophie?
2: Okay, so, I mean, my favourite story is secondhand. Um, So, something that's like a low-key annoyance here in Cannes is like when people get their phones out during screening. But one guy did something what, sitting beside David Ehrlich, the critic David Ehrlich, that David Ehrlich told me about, which is to say he got his phone out and began trying to Shazam the, f- the film's soundtrack. Oh,
1: mid-film. Yeah,
2: just a good minute of trying to Shazam it, which, besides the etiquette matter, that information is not going to be on Shazam. This is the world premiere of the mm-hmm, film. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a very good illustrative anecdote of how people might associate can with top professionals, but. There are little babies in the international film journal community, for and sure. And
1: the cause of, of whether to ban mobile phones in cinemas, that's a worldwide cause, wherever you come mm. from. It's not just your local Odeon. Yeah. It's also here.
2: At the Pelé de festival. <laughs> exactly,
1: yeah, gosh. Um, and, what, and what else have you been up to in Cannes here? Are you doing reports, interviews, features?
2: Yeah, I've been doing quite a mixed bag of things because I'm actually covering for three outlets and someone reached out to me today, so possibly a fourth outlet is going into that mix. So yeah, uh, I've been doing interviews. A real highlight for me of Cannes was interviewing Lucas Domp, the 26-year-old, ah. dreamy, virgin director of Girl, which is one of the great discoveries of the festival, and should have played in competition, but um, did not. Mm-hmm. But it, it's yeah, it's, it's one of the great discoveries of the festival, and uh, as I was interviewing him, uh, it's his debut feature, but I think the reason it's so compelling is it's been with him for nine years, he's been working on it for four years, and it's been very well received here. And in the middle of our interview, this guy came over and handed him a copy of Le Figaro, oh, the French okay. newspaper, with him on the front cover, Wow! and he just lost it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a very nice moment to watch a young man on the make, about to be established, just literally staring himself in the face in print.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's something that is actually quite pure about the Cannes experience, there there careers being made here. not It's not just all about provocations and bad boys uh, having 2,000 people having to watch their film.
2: Exactly, mm. and I, I, that's a really good point because I think it can it has the best and worst and mm. you can get really low, bogged down in all the, I, I guess, bullshit Because mm. there is a lot of bullshit here. And then, oh, I'm going to get bleeped again, but then the palate cleanser comes in the moment you discover a film. And it's if you're a cinephile, it's the purest thrill.
1: Mm-hmm. It's true, and I suppose One of the cinephile thrills was a film we saw, uh, which we are still percolating, I think. I don't know about you. So the film was Under the Silver Lake, David Robert Mitchell playing in competition. He's made two films before, The Myth of the American Sleepover and It Follows, which was the arthouse horror film of 2015, 2014. This film, where to start with it? I guess top line synopsis, it's Andrew Garfield as a sort of deadbeat chap living in a flat in Los Angeles who meets a girl, Riley Keough, and she disappears overnight and he becomes embroiled in where the mystery around where she may have gone and in the process comes into all sorts of conspiracy thrills or urban legends or the his own ob- private obsessions. Does that sound like right, Sophie? Sort of I think you've
2: done a stand-up job uh bringing together all the disparate elements. And I think one reason why you are hesitant in describing it is because it's a very textured film mm-hmm. and there are long stretches of the film where you're not sure what is instrumental and what is decorative. Mm-hmm. Like the lev- the level of the artwork, just even s- tiny details, like Andrew Garfield's character ends up, with this uh, this little hobo guide Mm -hmm. and there's lots of symbols it's it's, yeah there are lots of items in this world they lead to other items so there's this whole level of visual language Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah and honestly there were long stretches of it where it's kind of lost in the, under the well, it's surface of t- the Silver Lake.
1: Two and a half hour long shaggy dog story. Some people are expecting it to be like Inherent Vice or The Big Lebowski, but it's got its whole own sort of tumbra, hasn't it? You say it's very textured. It's also very textual. Mm. Um, this it would not be a spoiler to say how much it goes down the rabbit hole of popular culture, looking at the signs and signifiers within it, and then busts open some of these these narratives, these meta narratives that bind together, maybe you could say it as the the straight white male experience, the entitlement within which maybe, uh, but it was I found it such a perplexing <laughs> film. you know the um the, the Twitter meme that is from I think it's always sunny in Philadelphia where it's um i forgot the name of the actor, but he's in front of this pin board of uh, of all sorts of you know whatever little pictures he's clearly have got some scheme going, and it's become this ongoing meme about fandom or obsessive interesting things. I that is this film in a way.
2: That's a really good description of it and it's in a way it's like it keeps on going to you. There are, this is a character looking at all these cultural artifacts for a deeper meaning. Meanwhile, there are you watching this pop <laughs> cultural artifact looking for a deeper meaning. So it's yeah, like you say it's very very meta. And like he did with *It Follows*, like what you couldn't quite place what era it was set in. Mm-hmm. With this, it seems so '70s, yet people have smartphones, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it, it is very reminiscent of *Inherent Vice*, except it's somehow more streamlined. Mm-hmm. Even though it is a shaggy dog, it's like it's got more resolution and I'd say less f- I mean, or fewer blind alleys. And there's this whole. Like bait-and-switch thing going on in terms of what it's really about.
1: Mm-hmm, exactly, yeah. And very hard to really even trace the outlines of what it may be without leading into spoiler territory, but it's certainly one that, gosh, I I'm really interested in seeing again. Same. To figure it all out. Um, and, and, well, I now need to go away and write 500 <laughs> words on it. And yeah. <laughs> already it's proven to be quite a hard task.
2: Well, may I give you some advice? Go on, Sophie. As someone who... I shout out to Diamantino, which is one of my favourite films at the festival, and that's a film which is very different, but very similar in that there's so much going on, and how do you even begin to go into it? I would recommend, instead of trying to evoke or describe it, describe what it's doing that's different to a a lot Mm. of films are doing, and that way you don't have to try and make sense of it all, because... In a way, everyone's gonna have to do that themselves mm-hmm. when they watch it. But I, I'd say another reason, another thing that makes it different to Inherent Vice, which it is very similar to in a lot of ways, is I found myself very disorientated in that kind of like stoner world. Mm. This, I love being in this world, it, it, it is very s- kind of smooth in a way. And Andrew Garfield does extraordinary work as a character who is mainly tasked with just watching others mm-hmm. and looking at things uh, rather than having any big demonstrative scenes. He's kind of in a daze.
1: His most demonstrative scenes are circling things in Sharpie yeah, Exactly.
2: Yeah. They, <laughs> <laughs> this is climaxes. <laughs> yes, exactly.
1: Um, I think let's leave the silver lake, let's uh, dry mm. ourselves off and <laughs> look at other films. What are the f- any of the highlights you'd want to mention, Sophie?
2: Uh,
0: from your
1: entire span of Cannes? From I my think.
2: entire span of Cannes. My top four are Diamantino, Then that's a Portuguese film, mm-hmm. directed by Gabriel Brantes and Daniel Schmidt. Then I adored Ashes Purest White by oh. Jean yeah. and I just mentioned the power of Andrew Garfield's performance, Ash's purest white is J'artain. She inspired me to go away and just think about acting and think about what makes a great actress just so that I could develop the vocabulary to describe the impact she had on me. And I think it comes down to a kind of almost willingness to be on screen without, without saying the thing, like to see a character and for them to, you can see them thinking and you don't know what they're gonna do and you don't know what they're gonna say. But I, I also think that great actors, they're channeling something of their knowledge, mm-hmm. and she scans such a wise, soulful, vulnerable presence, and each moment watching her just feels like communing with mm-hmm. something very special. So Ash's purest white was an extreme highlight for me for that reason. Mm-hmm. Were you a big fan of that?
1: I was as well, and, and also I, I don't really know many of the Joschenko's films. I, I was on the podcast. A few months ago, reviewing Mountains Made Apart, which was my first viewing experience of him, and Zhao Tao is astonishing in that as well. And I, I quite like coming to Cannes and then coming back with some homework.
2: Right. Well, I think you and I have planned uh, a Zhao ja, Zhao marathon because yeah, exactly. she's Let's been in fourteen of his films. Because she is fourteen, his. really. Yeah, I think some of those are shorts. Or okay. s- but you know, she's his muse, mm-hmm. and I and I, I really like it when you realize, like the term Otero is very often applied to directors, so often that people think that is who it means. But no, it applies to anyone creative. And I think it shows like she is an auteur Mm -hmm. and they are two auteurs working together and together they just create something that is magical.
1: Well, that's going to be our next project, I think. <laughs> What's, what are the other two? You said you had the top four. Okay,
2: yeah. So, Girl by Lucas Don, which I think I already We've kind, covered, of, yeah. kind of described a bit. It
1: really is the yeah. discovery of the festival.
2: And then rewind all the way back to the very first director's Fortnite film, Birds yeah. of Passage, right, which is yeah. uh, the Colombian mm-hmm. dawn of the drug trade movie that is also a serene, traditional portrait of a lost way of life. It just brings together so many things to do with the world Mm -hmm. uh, as well as being beautiful to watch so what i really look for is is something that's kind of expansive but also enjoyable and birds of passage
1: make mention to, even though it's not one of my highlights, was Solo, a Star Wars story, directed by Ron Howard. Um, The new Star Wars prequel about Han Solo's younger years. A a film that people were quite intrigued by, because not only is it the first Star Wars prequel where they're recasting characters, famous characters, Han Solo famously played by Harrison Ford, of course, but they also replaced directors mid-production. The shoot was already underway with Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who made the Jump Street movies and then they weren't getting on, and due to creative differences, they replaced them with the very safe hands of Ron Howard. And So safe. Very safe. The film is a film. It's fine, it's enjoyable, very, very adventurous and, and thrilling in its own way, but it's, for me, the first one of these films that feels like product, mm. um, where it's colouring in and delivering fan service and little nods and little references in a way that... Um, I don't really want from these films I I want to be given something new and it's almost the flip side of The Last Jedi which really remixes what you know or wrong foots you into telling you new stories or new configurations of old stories and pointing towards a future that can be free of the expectations of a Star Wars franchise this one is very much to the point where you're finding out how Han Solo got his gun or how Han Solo met Lando and Chewbacca or the Castle Run which is a a passing mention in Star Wars about him being a famed pilot because he made the castle run in 12 parsecs. You find out what that is mm. in this film.
2: So I, it's like a nerd's glossary.
1: It is, but I'd like to think that I'm quite a nerd about these things and it didn't really do much for me.
2: Didn't hit your nerds, but no nerdgasms. No nerdgasms
1: in this one, <laughs> yes. But that's solo, and I believe Adam Woodward for The Thought Lies is currently writing up this review. That will be on the website shortly, I believe. But... um so any anything else about Cannes before we sign off? Well, mention? yes.
2: Um, so I don't believe on this podcast we've as yet mentioned the protest that took place. Yes, of course. So this was just before one of the three films by a woman in competition played, Eva Husson's Women of the Sun. Mm-hmm. Before it, 82 women from the industry took to the red carpet. Um, the president of the jury, Kate Blanchett, read out a speech which you can easily find online. And she was tag teaming it with Agnes Mm Varda, who was reading it in French. And it was beautiful to behold because of the tenderness between them and the sight gag of their height difference. But anyway, that's a very superficial aside. So the, the reason there were 82 of them is because this is the 71st Film Festival. In the 71 years since it's been running, there have been only 82 films directed by women in competition. And for contrast, there have been 1,727 films directed by men in competition. Mm -hmm. And the protest was organised by this French organisation called 5050 by 2020. And I would recommend looking at their website for a year-on-year breakdown, which really brings home the discrepancy. I would say though, it was a very surreal thing to witness, because. Thierry Fremont, the head programmer of Cannes, who is responsible for how many films get programmed by men or women in competition, was there effectively protesting himself. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something very strange here at Cannes at the moment, where because they have pledged to try and address this discrepancy, but they're just not quite there yet. Mm -hmm. And so you see these signs of hypocrisy everywhere. So I think this is an interesting year because I'm hoping to write a more detailed piece about this, actually. I think I just got commissioned today to do it, to look at the state of Mm Cannes' identity. But, um, yeah, it was very moving the 82 women protest, but just because of the the numbers in and of themselves tell a story. But in terms of how it went down and how much it... Is actually meaningful. I, I think we need to continue questioning and scrutinising the ideology and at ha- play here. It
1: has to be unilateral as well, doesn't it? Because there seems to be so much almost blame shifting, where, you know, as you say, you know, programmers may say, "Oh, we don't have the films." Producers say, "We don't have the projects." Or you know, it really has to be everybody pushing forward. Critics may say the films aren't programmed, so how, you know, if, if they're not mm. in competition, how can we not see them, etc. So we have to really. Do the work, all of us.
2: We do, we do. It's true. You're right, uh, and it just it just requires some of us to stop passing the buck and to stand up. Mm-hmm, you know, yeah. it's weaselly to, to like. Everyone's always got a million reasons for doing the decisions they make and doing what mm-hmm, they do. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you can cite all these other forces, but if you want to do something, you can do it.
0: Yeah,
2: and it just needs to be made more of a priority by people across the industry, as you say.
1: Well. That's hopefully a, a seed of discourse for, for future yeah. articles, podcast discussions. Exactly, that's yeah. it, that's
2: it. it. Yeah, we need to even change the way we're writing a, about films and covering mm-hmm. films and being less different. Because I think the thing is, for me, the most annoying or troubling aspect of the Cannes atmosphere is this is the festival mm-hmm. and it knows it. And it's, in a way, it's there are so many ways it tells you as journalists you are lucky to be here. Mm-hmm. And some journalists they drink that down and they won't question the programming tastes Mm. or anything like this. And We need to just take the festival off its pedestal and just look at it and subject it to the kind of rigorous journalistic analysis that you would any other festival.
1: Yeah, and we should. So Sophie, this piece may be brewing, but where else can we see what else you're writing?
2: So I am providing dispatch for Huck magazine, which is Little White Lays' sister magazine. And I have been briefed to cover films uh, by underdogs, by marginalised people, Mm -hmm. uh, films that might deal with wanderlust or something Mm -hmm. like this. So I have quite a specific brief. So far I've sent two dispatches and I've got two interviews in the chamber to also go up during the festival.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm currently writing some sight and sound reviews and uh, I think actually I'm covering an anime film for the White Lies is this film Mirai, which I think I mentioned on a previous episode of the podcast, this time-bending sci-fi fable um, where a young boy is concerned and anxious about the birth of his baby sister, but then through some sort of timey-wimey business, he's able to meet his younger baby sister as an older woman or as an, an older girl, and they have a connection, and he can see the woman she's going to be. And it sounds really, de- really delightful if it all comes together. Um, what are you seeing next, Sophie?
2: So I am next seeing an Uncertain Regard film called mm-hmm. Sophia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's directed by a woman called Miriam ben And it's, yeah, it's set in Casablanca in Morocco. And it's about a woman who has pregnancy denial. So she's pregnant, but in denial about it. Hmm. So I, I'll be covering that for Huck because that's, that's some of my good uh, right, underdog, underdog content. content. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, And then later on, I think we're all going to see Burning. Burning
1: Korean film. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That should be hopefully something special. Mm. Well, Sophie, thank you for, for joining me on this podcast.
2: It was my consummate pleasure, Michael. <laughs> Mon plaisir.
1: Oh, thank you. And uh, I think David and Adam are going to be back another day for a more of a roundup pod. But for now, uh, thank you for joining us. Um, you can get in touch with us over on Twitter, LW Lies. Or email us at truthandmovies at tcolondon.com.
2: And you can follow Michael and I on Twitter for those oh, yeah. for those good takes. We never do bad takes, that's the thing about us.
1: You are so far so good. Yes. A pun on Sophie, that's S-O-P-H-A-R- So Good.
2: And you are, I believe, at Michael J. Leader.
1: Michael J. Leader, yes. Yeah. Oh, thank you for the plug, Sophie. got to do it. Yeah, and thank you for listening, everyone. <laughs> this has been a seven digital production.